Jocelyn, thank you so much for making this possible. As a patient and as a volunteer at Kingston General Hospital, I feel as important as Leslie, and I feel as respected as Leslie. So it's because of work that we do, work that you do, and work that all of you, I hope, who are here today do, that I have that feeling, so thank you. We're going to tell you the story today of Kingston General Hospital. And uh, we are an organization that's gone through incredible change over a relatively short period of time, which makes our story somewhat unique, but I think lots of lessons learned for other organizations. And we're going to give you a glimpse into some of the uh, dimensions of our story. First and foremost, back in 2008, our organization was actually taken over by government, investigation into the hospital for spending a lot of money we didn't have, spending out of control, infection rates high, staff satisfaction low, terrible relations between administration and physicians, broken relations with the uh, university and our hospital. And one of the, these are some examples of some of the headlines and at the time, after investigation, government appointed a supervisor, took over our hospital for a period of one year. And I was hired and uh, recruited in to lead the organization through not only the delivery of a very ambitious performance improvement plan, which we had over three years, had to balance the books, improve on a number of performance metrics, and address a number of issues, including sick time, staff satisfaction, et cetera, that I and my board were accountable for. But we knew also that as leading the organization forward, we really needed to not only put those things in place, but think about how we were going to mend the broken spirit inside the organization and restore the trust that had been lost with our communities and I think as leadership with our staff and most importantly with our patients. So what happened is that we found ourselves looking at the experience, uh, used a variety of approaches to look at what was going on in our organization. And in fact, many of the circumstances that I describe are really microcosms of some of the challenges that we found in our own, uh, that we find in our Canadian healthcare system. And they're just manifested in different ways at organizations and regions and across the system. But then trying to, to unpack that and really get at the personal face of what was happening was part of the journey. And meeting people like Andale started to shine a different spotlight on the challenges that led us to solutions that in fact we had never imagined at the beginning of our recovery process. Thanks, Leslie. I didn't even look as good as that man. <laughs> I came to KGH in March of 2009 for a resection of my cancerous colon. And I came as a mother, I came as a wife, I came as a person with a set of expectations about my care. During my stay, I was done two, I was done four, but what I was missing, except for a few 
examples or a few people was being done with and I needed that being done with for my <laughs> own sense of personal power to make sense of the chaos I needed to partner in my care I felt particularly powerless when a staff member barged into my room and began putting elastic stockings on my legs without introducing himself or explaining why he was putting elastic <coughs> stockings on my legs. I felt powerless when the cleaning staff didn't speak to me or introduce themselves, but only called in loud voices to the nurses. And I felt particularly powerless and often very angry when I heard members of the staff talking about their recreational activities of the next evening in the halls within my hearing. I did not feel safe and looked after. I felt powerless also when I left the hospital without adequate information and without my husband and daughter having the information that they needed to help me with my subsequent 12 week at least recovery. I was told, but they were not told, and I didn't remember what I had been told. Not helpful. One person, however, I, I not lead you to think that this was a, a, a negative experience. I'm three years away from that and have been able to make some contributions. One young, we would call him a resident, that person who does a 24-hour shift and comes to your bedside. Every morning he was at my bedside at 7 o'clock. He gained my trust. I felt that he cared about me as an individual. Every day he asked me, how's it going, Mrs. McTavish? He even had to intubate me at one point, and I felt powerful in that he explained why he had to intubate me and how he was going to do it, and it enabled me to cooperate with him. On day six, when I had no bowel activity whatsoever and was feeling very discouraged, could take nothing by mouth, as after he'd examined me, he went around the bed and said, you know, Mrs. McTavish, if I'd had the operation you've had, I think my tummy would be acting in the same way. Well, that changed my whole perception. It normalized my feelings of anxiety. And I began to feel better, lo and behold, very shortly. So he changed my experience entirely. When I arrived at the organization, one of the things that I did was in the first 100 days was really spend time with, at this point, was over 500 staff, physicians, volunteers, members of the community, and patients, and to hear the stories in a way that would bring to life what our aim needed to be in terms of going forward. And we actually charted a course that became the initial pathway toward an aim of outstanding care always. And with that, then we knew we were needed to deliver still on incredibly ambitious tactical plans if you will. There was no, we had, we had no money. We had no money for consultants. We couldn't complain about resources because it was clear that we were spending money we didn't have and we were not achieving a variety of other outcomes. So we needed to dig deep inside ourselves. And then what we did is by bringing together, I started to meet with these various groups. I thought we got to bring the voices collaboratively and together and leverage those views toward creating a path together 
that would forge our uh, way forward. And want to share one other story with you because this story was very typical of then the what became a call to action that we really put on ourselves to say, you know, as the organization and as an experienced chief executive, we simply can't do this alone. And we needed to also go forward the path together. And another patient story that we were starting to tell openly to audiences, to our public, and to ourselves as a staff to learn from. And some of these are very hard to hear. I'm on a unit. Um, I've had bilateral knee replacements, so I'm not ambulatory. And I have someone bring me a bedpan. And I, they were having a party at the nursing station at that particular time, a birthday party for someone. And it was around 9 in the evening. So I got the bedpan, and I had been um, pumped with lots of antibiotics. So, you know, I had an urgent need to avoid. So when she came back, I said, you know, you might want to put two hands on the bedpan because it's really full. And she said, I don't need to worry about that. She pulled it, and the whole thing dumped in the bed. And then I thought, okay, this has really gone sideways. So she just stuffed a bunch of blue pads under me, and I laid in that bed all night. And so these were the kinds of things. And I thought about them, and I thought, this must be, I must be crazy. This can't really be happening, can it? Am I making more of this than it actually is? But those were the stories I talked about when I was speaking to my colleague and those are the things I told her and she said then that's when I should get involved. That's when I should get involved. So telling the process of engagement we actually then went on a path for our strategy of our organization that we knew we needed to make real in terms of the commitment to Outstanding Care Always and discover what did that mean to everyone else. And so through a process then of engaging where I as a chief executive was personally involved in the 2000 conversations that happened with individuals, then themes that then we, ch we shaped our commitments for the strategic directions with ambitions over the next five years like eliminate all preventable harm to patients by 2015. I tell you, I did not sleep for four nights before we actually decide. I, I said, I don't know if we can do this. It gave me great distress because I was so worried about making a commitment that we couldn't keep. And yet the listening to Jenny, listening to folks like Ann Dale, and a woman in a very public forum like this standing up and saying, Leslie, I don't feel safe coming to your hospital. I thought, how can we do anything else? But what we needed to do was figure out, I knew I didn't have all the answers. And in order to bring the energy and the focus in our organization back to where it belonged, we needed to recalibrate ourselves and focus on the patient like never before. Not about everything that the staff wanted, but what the patient voice was and bring that and amplify it in a way that we had never done before. So in fact, what we did was we started to ask the question and just imagine, what if patients ran our hospital? What would be different? Well, in fact, everything. <laughs> 
And I've just spent a little time jotting down some of my favorites if patients around the hospital, and believe me, we're getting a little closer all the time in partnership, in partnership. Uh, first of all, patients and families could find their way around our hospital. <laughs> our signage would be respectful rather than uh, preaching and negative. Patients and families would be welcomed at their point of entry and they would be welcomed again as they entered their particular service area. So there'd be nobody doing this and continuing on paperwork. There would be somebody engaging you within seconds, acknowledging you. So a nurse or the unit clerk might say, good morning, welcome to unit such and such. How can I help you today? And have eye contact. Name badges would be worn on the left shoulder by everybody in the hospital. Staff, you're going to laugh at this because most of you staff wear uniforms. Ours don't wear anything that I would think ever would resemble a uniform. To me, staff would be wearing monochromatic, professional-looking uniforms so that patients and their families could know who does what, even if they can't see the small role here. Whenever possible, shift change would be at bedside with the participation of patients and their families. Families' presence would be welcome during difficult procedures at the bedside. Families would have the choice of being there. Patients and families would be part of every planning process for all new patient-used facilities. And finally, a microcosm of something I've just realized, friend's uh, mother died, uh, folding beds would be available for children or, or uh, parents of ill patients so they could sleep the night in comfort. So as we went forward, we thought, and hearing the ideas, some of the first inclination of caregivers, people in decision-making roles, is, well, that's a very nice idea, but we have a lot of reasons why that can't work, right? We have a lot of things around the things, the structures, the processes for us that make a lot of sense that get in the way and actually cause us to say, that's nice, you know, we'd love to do that if we could, if we had the money, if we had the process, if we had whatever. But what we did is actually made a decision, and as the CEO, my commitment to the organization, to the board, was that every decision in our organization where there is a material impact on the experience of patients, there will be a patient at the table. Now we knew we couldn't achieve that overnight. So that is our goal over the course of five years. And we are now well into our third year now of experience in this process. So what does that take? Well, it takes a, the way in which you make decisions profoundly shapes the culture of your organization and how people work together. And so when you set out on the path of having patients or families at every turn, needing to look at how you make decisions. So, but the partnership is what is going to be different. But this isn't easy, it's not natural. And for a lot of the reasons we heard at the very first uh, speaker, this is, there are so many forces that are designed in our organizations actually against this when you really start to take a look. But once you put that lens on decision-making, 
everything starts to change. So we actually created a patient and family advisory council, which in itself is not totally unique. In our organization it was, and given the fact that we were in such distress in so many ways, we essentially went and didn't really know what we were doing, but we went and had 12 folks that actually had terrible, heart-wrenching experiences in our organization. And we said, would you help us? We need to go forward. We all want to be better. And we can't do this without you. And so we started with the Patient and Family Advisory Council of 12 folks, and now we have 50. 50 advisors. Patient experience advisors. Five staff, yeah. but 50 advisors spread out throughout the organization attending all committee meetings that have to do with patient care. It starts to change the language. The patient flow task force in our hospital was, God, got to get those bed blockers out. Well, when you have patients sitting at that very operational committee, your language starts to show you don't talk about the bed blockers because the patient's there and they find that incredibly insulting, as they should. So we start to, you start to shift. They're on every planning committee with the physicians, with the nurses, their program planning committees. They are now on hiring panels for nurses and patient and safety committees that are looking at our critical incident reviews, understanding what's going on. One of the first decisions, and I say decisions because the ideas that were coming forward were decisions that we were empowering with some risk of uh, the Patient and Family Advisory Council, one of the very first decisions that was made was about elimination of visiting hours. And again, there were 25 reasons to Sunday why this shouldn't work. But we listened, the voice was heard, it made complete sense, and so we did it. We didn't pilot it, we didn't do big project teams, we did it. <laughs> We did it because we knew it was the right thing to do. And part of our experience that I think is, it, our process has been iterative. We don't have a lot of neat flow charts. We don't have a, lot, a grand project design. It's been an organic iterative process that I think because we have all been learning through the process has shaped something that we never really imagined in the first place. Part of the lessons learned though, now when I go around the organization and I do, instead of bringing town halls to people, I do, we call them neighborhood meetings because our mission of the organization is as a community of people, we are working together to transform the patient and family experience. That is the mission of the organization that has come out of our strategy process. But when I went around and talked to one of the staff and she said, you know what, I, as a nurse, she said, I get all of this. I really understand the focus of the patients, but what about us? And what about the staff? And it was an interesting reflection to then say, okay, we've got some things that, uh, also needing to bring along the staff as well as the patients. There are numerous examples of the process of the transformation in our organization. And I know we're out of time. I just want to tell you at the end of the day, we've, the books have been balanced, first time in 16 years. Our patient satisfaction is way up. Our infection rates are down. 
our hand washing compliance, which is a reflection of behavior, went from 34% to 94%. And we are, through the partnership with our patients, together shaping a future. And, and Dale, your final reflections on um, the whole experience. I think it's been one of the richest things that's happened in my life because I know I'm part of the process of partnering in my hospital. And that helps me make sense out of chaos and gives me a feeling of, of power and control. And it's a wonderful thing. Thank you. It shape, reshapes everything it once you start down this path. Thank you very much. Yeah.